Welcome to the Movie Planet Season 5, Episode 24. This week, we are talking about 1985's Enemy Mine. With Joe. This is my head. That is you head. You ugly head. <laughs> And Sam. You know, while you're having such a good time and doing nothing, I am trying to think of ways to improve our situation. Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me is the Davidge to my Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Sam. Welcome back. Hello. 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 (laughs) Hello. (laughs) This week, Sam has nominated Enemy Mind from 1985 for the science fiction pantheon. Nah. Okay. So the science fiction movie pantheon consists of seven and only seven films. Currently, the films are at a perfect score. The Matrix. An A. Jurassic Park has an A- minus at number two. Back to the Future from 1985 is an A- minus also, but it's just underneath JP. Then we got Jurassic World from 2015, Back to the Future Part 3, Back to the Future Part 2, and The Lost World. Hey, Sam, are we going to see The Lost World finally get the f*** out of this pantheon? Yes. (laughs) I'm also wondering, why the f*** is Back to the Future Part 3 above Part 2? I believe that was... Steve. My fault. I gave Back to the Future... You gave it a 10. I did. I gave it a a B+. Yeah. And Steve gave it a seven. And I gave Back to the Future two. Caitlin gave it a C. What's wrong with you? I had my reasons. What have you done? I had my reasons. Be some damn good ones. I had my reasons. (laughs) If you'd like to hear my reasons, please listen to the podcast. I need to get Caitlin over here because she seems to be a little more agreeable. (laughs) Yeah. So what the wrong? What the is wrong with you? What are your reasons? Okay, I've got the one. I got the part two up here, and uh, okay. I said, let's see, it brought back the main, okay, so my sequel, Rubik, it brought back the main players. It says, change the circumstances so they are forced to do something different. Well, they're still trying to fix timelines. So that's kind of the point of the movie. I guess they differentiate by going to the future instead of the past. Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's see, continue the narrative while introducing a new problem as well as exhibiting an internal issue amongst the group. Great. They did that. The gambling idea is divisive. They still trust each other, but they have to because it's the only way to get back. But that trust is broken a little bit now. So I was like, okay, cool. So I said- but checks. Right. I said, it's at least, so I said, based on that, it's at least a D minus because it's not a fail as a sequel. The first movie really, this is my, my main thesis. The first movie really revolved around a boy trying to get to his parents to fall in love so that his existence remained intact. In this movie, it revolves around a sports statistic book. The death of George McFly is glossed over in five minutes, and Lorraine is there just for the sake of being there. It's an overstuffed movie with a lot of good ideas that sometimes work and sometimes don't. Overall, I think we're giving Back to the Future Part 2 a C, whereas the first movie was just too darn loud. This movie was just too darn long. Pacing matters, people. It's okay. We all can't be right all the time. No, I agree. You're wrong about Black Adam. (laughs) Oh, really? Look at what the critics are saying. Yeah, because they're always right. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Do you want to alter any of your grades from the previous yeah, shows? Yeah, your f***ing grade. No, your grades. <laughs> now, you've only given one grade for the science fiction pantheon, and that was for The Matrix. You don't have any grades given for Back to the Future 1, 2, or 3. No, I guess I wasn't invited. Mr. Sassy Pants. I guess I wasn't invited. You were in California. Steve's in fucking Florida. <laughs> you were busy creating an empire. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> okay, let's see. I gave a Matrix. You gave it an A. Yeah. Score. And then. As you should have. The Last Jedi. You you gave that a B plus. <laughs> you gave that this a was, B plus. This is the, the oh this is I remember this. I had the Star <laughs> Wars goggles on and yeah. after and I even talked about removing the Star Wars goggles and going oh this is a piece of shit. <laughs> well, it's already in the bottom place. I mean, it's gonna be gone. Yeah, next space fantasy. I'm not worried about next one. Yeah. Okay. Well. Let's get into this. Uh, now that we've handled that business, let's get down to business. This week, we are talking about 1985's Enemy Mine. This is a little-known movie. With a lot of heart. Uh, a movie made for $29 million that brought in $12.3 million. Oh. Those are room-type numbers. That's bad. <laughs> Written by Barry Longyear and Edward Kamara. Directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Music by Maurice Jarre. Now... The reason I, I started, I was like, how did it only make 12.3? And I looked it up. It was released on December 20th of 1985, only in 700 theaters. The other movies in the box office at the time, Rocky Four, The Jewel of the Nile, Spies Like Us, Out of Africa, Santa Claus the Movie, oh. White Knights, 101 Dalmatians was released, <laughs> and The Color Purple. Oh, yeah. You're not competing with any of those. You're screwed. <laughs> you are absolutely f here, let's put a space movie out there. See what oh happens. yeah, <laughs> Jesus! Uh, this this it's rated R. One hour and forty eight minutes. This movie is more gnarly than I remember. What do you mean? Specifically, the back half. Oh yeah, like yeah. I'm surprised my dad let me watch this. <laughs> this and is, it was his idea. Like this was a like this was a, a dad son bonding movie. Like we watched this. More than one time. And you know what? It's a small cast. It is. Yeah. It's it's the three, basically. And then a bunch of, you know, slavers. So you got Dennis Quaid as Davidge, Louis Gossett Jr. Yes, that's him as Jerry. Uh, Brian James as Stubbs. Who? Richard Marcus as Arnold. Who? Who? Carolyn McCormick as Morris. Oh, that must be one of the people from the space station. And Bumper Robinson as Zamis. I'm and trying to remember... And Doctor Who's Tom Baker as the narrator. Who's the main slaver bad guy at the very end? Like the guy who is... Is it Brian oh, James? It's, oh, it's Stubbs. It's Stubbs. I don't, okay. I don't ever like hear his name. Yeah, Brian James. Oh my God. He was in... Because I, like, I know him. His face looks familiar. He's in Blade Runner. He's in The Fifth Element. That's right. He's in Striking Distance. Yep. Another 48 Hours. He's in a lot of movies. He's a character actor. He's one of those guys where you go, oh, I know him. And maybe he goes, what from? And you go, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> now, according to IMDb, this movie had many different taglines. Which one is your favorite? <laughs> they both start the same way. Enemies because they were taught to be. But then the first one says survivors because they had to be. And the second one says allies because they had to be. Brothers because they dared to be. Yeah, I'm going to go with the first one. That's a little... 
lame. Uh, yeah, I like the first one. They also. had to be because they were surviving. That's what it was. Yeah. Do you remember seeing this for the first time? I was so young. I do not. No. I just remember. You saw it with li- your dad. Yeah. Living room, TV, yeah. popcorn, pops, watching the movie. We have we did that multiple times with other movies, but with this movie yeah. more specifically. I saw this when I was a kid also, and uh, this was one that we taped off of HBO, and nice. I ran that tape out. Like, oh, I watched yeah. this so many times, and every time that f***ing thing in the pit scared the shit out of me. <laughs> it's so, Well, it's so smart, because it's so, like, um, I don't know. It bug, looks like a co- like it's, it's like really, a cobra, too. It's, yeah, it's, like, really gentle, and then it's really ominous, and mm-hmm. then gets you. And in 1985, it looked really good. It still kind of looks good. <laughs> the monster itself. Yeah. Eh. Uh, well, and that the, looked much better tentacle. in my head. And then when I saw it in the movie, I was like, oh, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. The tentacle thing still weirds me out. Right. <laughs> that it's I creepy. see that coming out of the ground. I'm not okay. <laughs> Don't fall in any pits. To this day, though, by the way, whenever I do see pits like in Dunes and stuff like that, I always think of this movie. Always. Um, like this, that scene is ingrained in me now. Yeah. It's time for a segment, Inception to Perception, where I dig shallowly into the internet. Here we go. Here's how this movie came to be. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies. I make films. The novella was published in 1979 and won a Hugo Award for Best Novel in 1980. The film began shooting in April of 1984 with Richard Long Crane as director and a budget of $18 million. However, after three weeks of shooting in Iceland and Budapest, producers became concerned about a mixture of budget overruns, creative differences, and poor quality dailies. Quote, it looked like the planet Earth, (laughs) said one executive close to the production. It was costing millions of dollars to create a different look in both the location and Lou Gossett's costume made it look like a cheap 50s horror movie. How about that? Why wouldn't you just make a studio? Lewis Gossett. Instead of bringing your entire crew out to Iceland and Budapest. So Lou Gossett Jr. says, quote, he kind of directed himself into a corner because of the weather. He couldn't shoot anything that matched. We would still be there. God. (laughs) Uh, Filming was stopped. The studio had already spent $9 million in production costs and had pay-or-play contracts committing an additional $18 million, so executives needed to decide whether to cut losses or go with a new director. At the same time, Fox changed its upper management and new chairman Barry Diller and head of production Lawrence Gordon decided to move ahead with a new director. The studio had faith in the story and actors involved and asked Wolfgang Peterson to take over. Now, this is Peterson talking. He says, they made it sound as if they were having a bad dream. I explained that I'm not the kind of director who can jump on a plane and finish someone else's work. However, he changed his mind and decided to do it anyway (laughs) when he read the script. (laughs) Says, quote, I'm not a fan of Star Wars science fiction. I thought I would hate Enemy Mine, but after reading the script, I realized there was more going on than just to shoot him up in outer space. I really was very much impressed with the script, but I had... Too much to do. That's when they offered to stop production until I was done with the never-ending story. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm I'm now seeing a correlation. Yep. <laughs> Peterson did not like any of Lung Crane's footage. Quote, 
All the magic was gone, he said. Quote, Lou Gossett Jr. looked like a man in a rubber lizard suit, and Iceland looked like Iceland. (laughs) (laughs) You always had a feeling of a human inside something, and the feeling of the foreign planet was missing. Then he said, okay, he opted to start anew scouting locations along the African coast. Stars Quaid and Gossett remained on during the duration of the film's delays and were paid holding money. Peterson moved the production from Budapest to Munich in the studio he used for Das Boot. Nice. Yeah. Making that extra cash for doing literally nothing. Literally sitting around. (laughs) Large sets were constructed finally, including a man-made lake. And Gossett's drag makeup was redesigned, taking several months on its own. Filming resumed in December of 1984 in the Spanish Canary Islands before going to West Germany. This thing shot everywhere. Damn. (laughs) Quote, I can't tell you how much it cost to scrap the original, said Peterson, and I don't even want to know. All I do know is between $24 million and $25 million was the new budget they gave me, and I ended up with that figure. Good Lord. Now, (laughs) the film finished shooting seven months after its delay. The film's budget originally planned at about $17 million, rose to twenty nine, and ended up costing more than forty with marketing costs. <laughs> Cut the cord! <laughs> We're hemorrhaging money. You know, they might have lost their ass on this movie, but I'm happy they did. <laughs> the president of Fox's marketing department felt the film was an extremely difficult movie to market, that it's two, that story of two species evolving from enemies to friends made the science fiction picture less about technology and more along the lines of brotherhood as epitomized by the tagline. The studio pushed the film with a full marketing blitz the Sunday before Thanksgiving with full-page advertisements in 43 of the largest newspapers in the United States. Meanwhile, Fox arranged for a television network roadblock, virtually simultaneous 30s. The f*** am I looking? Is that the original makeup? The original concept. That looks awful. It looks really bad. That looks awful. Oh, Jesus Christ. For those that cannot see, yes. this is. <laughs> this basically looks like uh, he couldn't a mummified corpse. Gray with almost no mouth, sunken eyes. Uh... Yeah, not pretty. It looks like a human. That's, I mean, they're very right. It looks like a mummified human. <laughs> it looks awful. <laughs> uh, okay, so Fox arranged for television network roadblock, virtually simultaneous 30-second primetime commercials on all three major networks. Still that same day, 3,500 theatrical trailers were shipped to theaters across America, and 164 of the nation's biggest shopping malls were covered with posters for the film. Like, they were determined not to lose their, lose their ass on this. And that's in the days when you actually had to send a trailer by mail. Yep. The campaign received some critical scorn from those in the industry. The poster with the two leads staring at each other was singled out for failing to convey the warmth of the story. <laughs> a marketing head at another studio called it one of the worst of the year. Really terrible. There was a way to make the movie much more palatable. In the United Was there? <laughs> I don't think so. In the United Kingdom, the original 108-minute movie was cut down to 93 minutes when first released theatrically and later on VHS, although the full-length version was reinstated for the 2002 DVD. That's what we watched. Yeah, cuz that movie's already moving. Yeah. Now, with Enemy Mine costing over $40 million, the studio hoped for a large first weekend opening. That did not occur, with the film pulling in $1.6 million at 700 theaters nationwide. So they marketed it to 3,500 theaters, but only sent it to 700. (laughs) That's your own damn fault. It's so stupid. 
Number one, that's your own damn fault. Number two, you know that it's Christmas and they're putting out a Santa Claus movie. You have a Disney movie. I'm sorry. No, you fucking idiots. What? Why would you spend all that money on 3000 and only give 700 As of Christmas Day, the film had taken in $2.3 million at the box office. When asked exactly how much the movie would have to take in during its theatrical run to make its money back, a Fox executive replied, it doesn't really matter because it's not going to do it. <laughs> I wonder if since, <laughs> since then, have they come close to breaking even? I mean... I wonder how many movies it took for them to get back on the schneid. Because back then, uh, $29 million is like $80 million today. Yeah. Um, so if you shave, I said, uh, shave off 33% for the issues, and you're looking at a $47 million film. That's what this would have been today. And I honestly, when you look at it, I think they did a good job stretching the budget. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking idiot. It's not going to make it back. It's not going to make it back. It doesn't really matter. It's not going to happen. All right. You ready to get into this thing? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. That is the witch ugly head. All right. That's enough. Now you keep that up and you can learn English all by yourself because I'm not going to be your teacher anymore. Sorry. The witch. That's better. You know. While you're having such a good time and doing nothing, I am trying to think of ways to improve our situation. Okay. You know the old saying, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Dawis, you learned this from great drag teacher Chisma. No, from Mickey Mouse. Who? Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is this great Eckman teacher. Yeah. Sort of. Enemy Mind opens to a panorama of outer space along with an opening monologue by Willis Davidge. In this monologue, he says that all of Earth's nation had achieved peace by the end of the 21st century and had begun working together to explore and colonize outer space. How un unfortunately, Earth wasn't alone out there. Earth colonists encountered a race of alien non-humanoids known as the Drax, who were laying claim to some of the richest star systems in the galaxy. Dispute over who was where first and who had legal right to where led to a battle and finally war between Earth and the Drax people. Did you get an alien feel from the beginning of this when it first started? Yeah, there was definitely like a Star Wars-y alien kind of thing going on. And then you saw the two planets and you're like, fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I appreciate the work that went into these uh, backdrops and yeah. effects. You know, it's not their fault they don't age well. It's the best they could it's do. The best they could do it looked pretty cool back then i'm assuming industrial light and magic was not working on this no. one no. uh or they sent like an intern and said you deal with this yeah you like painting, <laughs> i'm gonna right? draw a circle and make you a planet that's it <laughs> that's it all right stretching that budget cool yeah. i mean it does it's a cool opening shot and i'm sure back in 85 people were kind of like oh this looks pretty decent it, it doesn't it, it looks kind of cheap it looks kind of cheap 
Yeah, look, $24 million cheap. $24 million cheap. <laughs> the scene shifts to an Earth space station out in space, far from a solar system. Four Drac fighter ships approach to begin a raid. Here's what happens, basically, okay? So they're all fighting each other, fighting each other, fighting each other, and then all of a sudden, Davidge has, he, the Davidge has killed all these all these Drac fighters, but there's one lone Drac fighter, and he's escaping them, and he's weaving and bobbing, he's getting out of the way, and all of a sudden, Davidge hits him in the wing. Yeah! Good job, human! Humans kill the Drax. And then the Drax jumps, ejects out of the ship and doesn't damage run into the ship? Yes. <laughs> like this great pilot. This great pilot that has a ton of mobility and maneuverability. Yes. Runs straight into it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I do like the fact this thing just jumps right into it though. Yeah. If there's no time wasted, um, it doesn't. To me, it didn't feel like a Drac raid. It felt like a, oh, what's going on here? Oh, shit, we're in the wrong place. We're just going to turn around. Yeah. And the humans go, oh, f*** you. I also like the fact that you got to see it from the Drac's point of view also. Like, right away. You saw their hands on the radar. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay. this is interesting. Yeah, because normally this, like, that's them basically trying to humanize the bad guys also. Yeah. The bad guys. Yeah. They're in the cockpit. The uh, it, it did crack me up that there was the, <laughs> the cockpits were they were just just nice and still. Yes, they did not move at all. Not one fucking bit. There was no. Da, 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 da. Then again, they were being there was a projection behind them. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't really move. They they might get their head stuck in the way. I will say this though: outside of the ship, the ship movement looked really smooth. Yes, yes, I it liked, does. I liked that. I did like how every time David shoots his guns, he got a yells. <laughs> yeah! Got yeah, him! Um, I feel like they use the same set as Alien when they land, though. It's just lit up better. Yeah. Also, I'm just like, I don't understand the whole bloodthirst and, like, get these sons of bitches. Yeah. Like, I don't know. The intro didn't really do... Whoops. The intro didn't really do a uh, a great job of, like, well, why do the humans hate them so much? I mean, I get it. It's like the fight for humans resources. Humans are dickheads. It's the fight for resources. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. But it, it, it didn't. They don't actually show say that, me. you know, but. Yeah. They allude to it, I guess. But anyway, after they crash, apparently Davidge's pilot, he's he's dead. Davidge. That Davidge. Well, Wooster. Wooster's dead. Yeah. Wooster. Not to be confused with Rooster. <laughs> huh. How about that? How about that? Uh Davidge builds a barrow of stones over Wooster's body and sets Wooster's broken helmet on it as a grave marker. He spotted where the Drac ship wreckage went down and ensured the escape pod with the Drac pilot is near it. As he sets off to kill the Drac, Davidge gives a voiceover where he says he's never seen one of their race before, knowing very little about their physiology, only that they are reptilian and scaly and that they are hermaphroditic. They have both male and female body parts. For somebody who is at ra- uh, war with another race... <laughs> In the the far future, yes. in the interstellar travel mm. future, might I add. Right. Uh, number one, you probably won't have 1985 guns. No, you won't. Uh, but number two, I'm sure there'd be a picture, a diagram of a drag for the soldiers to see. I mean, you would think at some point they would have gotten a POW out just of this. A, just a memo, anything. You know, just the study? Just anything because he says in the rumor three years later they have slaves yeah because he says it's a rumor that they've got male and female body parts and i'm like has anybody seen these things (laughs) like you're the big 
enforcers. You're yeah. the you're you're the guys. You don't know anything about these guys. How long have you been at war with them? <laughs> we just shoot at whatever's out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't put it past us to be honest. Uh, what do you think of the voiceover? You know, I'm really not a fan of it. I think it's cheesy. Okay. And it just goes away for a bit. It's a long way to walk without any supplies for damage to go to that. Oh, he's a, dude, he is on a mission. He's he going to kill something. He wants the head of that monster. <laughs> that piece of shit alien. You like his gun? <laughs> oh, yeah. The really shiny fucking potato shooter. Looks like he picked it up at a KB Toys in the gun aisle. <laughs> God, it's 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 like you you gave Drac a fucking ray gun. He's got all shoots, the cool shit. He's got all the cool shit. You gave him a pistol. Yeah, that he misses with. He oh, he drops it. Is he a stormtrooper? <laughs> for for a guy that doesn't really like Star Wars sci-fi, I mean, you really I don't know. Just just saying. Just saying. A strange turtle-like creature emerges from the, some rocks as Davidge passes them and makes its way across the ground. It falls into a shallow sinkhole of loose sand, still deep enough that it cannot make its way out. A long tendril snakes out of the bottom of the sinkhole, feeling the air for vibrations and smells. It draws back and latches onto the creature's shell, pulling it down below the sand. Some horrible noises are heard as the sand at the bottom of the sinkhole continues to churn. Suddenly, the turtle creature's bloody shell is spat out of the sinkhole, where it joins many other similar shells around the sinkhole's edges, and a monstrous burp is heard. Do we need the burp? There's always a burp. And Sarlacc picked it first. <laughs> like, why is why is it necessary to have a burp? I don't know. Maybe it's fun for the children. This is not a children's movie. <laughs> this is not a kid's movie. I did like the design of the alien turtle. Like the like, and the fucking snake hole snake. Where snake hole snake me up. Th- that thing still weirds me out. Yeah, it's still unsettling. I'm not a fan of tentacles or anything like that. There'll be no hentai in my future. <laughs> I'm okay with tentacles, but this is a very <laughs> ominous, threatening appendage. Yes. No, but yeah, th- this this was very Sarlacc-y, where it grabs you and pulls you in. Yeah, I've, yeah I, I think this is more creepy than a Sarlacc. I don't know. Like, cause if this thing, if you're like in this the is pit seductive. and this thing is looking at you yeah. and like smelling you, you're like... It reminds me of Prometheus when they run into the little thing in the yeah <laughs> it's it's exactly going, hey little buddy <laughs> hey how you do yes that's exactly it you're like no 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 don't go near that thing no 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 wait up girls I got a salami I gotta hide <laughs> Jesus Christ the fucking Caddyshack yeah. <laughs> Davidge makes his way to a lake where he finds a drac. The, the drac pilot swimming in the lake. It emerges from the water to squat by a campfire. Davidge moves closer to make the kill, but as he aims his pistol, a small rock outcropping under his boot gives away. He barely holds onto the rocks, but his gun fails from his hand to drop into the lake below, and the noise alerts the drac pilot. Although reptilian and clearly non-human, the drac still appears to have the same basic body structure with two arms, two legs, standing erect, standing straight up. He's not erect and its hands have opposable thumbs. Although that would be funny if he stood up and he had a massive boner. Just <laughs> the tail from the back just comes around. Although his dick oh, is actually on his back. Just where our, ta- our tail bones are. That's just his dick. That's his, that they, they just twerk to each other. Yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> Lewis Gossett jr. Physical actor on this one. Oh, he crushes his performance in this. Absolutely. He looks otherworldly when he's moving. 
It's a little humanoid. A little like, bit. It's got all the characteristics of a human. Yeah. Except the everything else. I do like the little flares in the scene, like the balloon above the drag ship to show it slowed its descent. Yeah, it's nice. That, um, that's smart writing. <laughs> oh, you'll there. I, there are some arguments you have here that I'm happy to shed like a little. Well, maybe it's this. Yeah, like and the, they they do they do a deep thought of why these things are the reason like they're. Yeah, they like are. damage went on the mission. Drac is like, I'm finding a water source and I'm building the camp. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wish there was like like I said before. I wish I understood a little more of the backstory of why Davij is such a dick. Yeah. Like what what is the purpose of I'm gonna find this guy and I'm gonna cut his head off with a dull spoon? Well, and I think part of it is because as humans we relate to the human character first, but we're gonna find out Jerry is kind of the same person on his side also. Yeah. He's 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 no. Uh, He's like, n- he no Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> you take that back. <laughs> I always thought that part was funny in the movies. Oh, it's great. Like, I, yeah, like it was such a pleasure rewatching this because I've totally forgotten it. I did too. Except for like key little scenes like the, the pit. Yes. And the slave ship. Like things that really freaked me out that stuck with me. I forgot about the football game later. <laughs> oh, I love that scene so much. It's great. It's such a great touch. And you can tell the kid is a natural athlete. Oh my, he's a natural athlete, but he's having such a good time. Oh yeah. No. And so is Dennis Quaid. And you're like, this so fucking works. It does. It, it absolutely does. Uh, See football bringing species together. You gotta love it, man. Go uh, Jets. <laughs> <laughs> Davidge remains stone still and waits until nightfall. The drag puts its rifle on the bulkhead of its wrecked spacecraft and lot dives into the lake to swim again. Pulling a utility knife, Davidge hurries to the ship's wreckage. Finding a container of what is apparently a combustible fuel, he pours it onto the lake's surface and ignites it with a flare. Laughing maniacally at the thought that the drag must be burning, he reaches for his rifle. Suddenly, his own body is gripped in convulsions. The drag had placed the weapon in direct contact with the ship's exposed circuitry as a precaution. <laughs> Kicking Davidge away from the ship and the weapon, the Drak stands over him and gives a gloating greeting. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Thank you. Uh, silly human. <laughs> Fire no burn in water. It floats on top. You would think of all the things to get rid of the fuel. Like the one thing you could fucking use. You might need it. You wasted the whole fucking thing. <laughs> This like he's so rageful, he doesn't even think. He just wants this thing to die. He's on the mission, man. <laughs> just kill the enemy. That's it. That's it. That's it. Kill, 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 kill. Um, that's a lot of fire on that scene. Yes. Like I wonder how hot that bitch got. That's real fire. That's real fire in a <laughs> studio. <laughs> On a fake ass lake. Well, doesn't Lewis Gossett st- sit up or stand up in the water? He literally just comes right up. Like the amount of oxygen sucked up from that area because of the circle of yeah. the flames. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's like, because be he had the suit on, he must have been able to bear the heat for a little it's bit. It's all covered. And, it's all, yeah, it's all yeah. covered. What a pain in the ass. Uh, yeah, Davich is a fucking pain in the ass. He really is. The idea behind this scene is awesome from the electrical storm to the first contact, but the execution looks so cheap now. I mean, yeah. The, you, the fire looks do? cool. Uh, $24 million. What are you going to do? And did you notice that that jump that 
Dennis Quaid jumped off the cliff. That was that was quite a jump. It would probably stump double, but yes. That was high. That was real, <laughs> that was real high. Damn. And uh, Drac, smart with the booby trap. Oh, absolutely. He knows what he's doing. But as soon as the electric bolts went out, that's the Emperor's lightning bolts right there. Oh, yeah, those were nice. I've seen those. The Drac ties Davage's hands and feet together and seats him near the ship while it eats. Ugh. Seeing that the Drac has chosen not to kill him for now, but still full of hate and anger toward it, Davage demands that the Drac give him something to eat. It mockingly copies a lip-smacking motion. <laughs> Davage makes it. Don't think we needed that. That sounds awful. <laughs> Even though they speak different languages, when Davage yells the insult toad face at the Drac, it suddenly stands up and walks over to Davage, squatting over him. It asks a question in its native tongue, jabbing Davidge with a finger. When the Drek speaks the phrase, Koshvasan Jarabashigan Shigan, Davidge <laughs> realizes that the Drek has just told him its name, Jarabashigan. Huh. He understands. How does he know that? He, he, sometimes they know stuff about them and sometimes they don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Magic, baby. Magic, baby. Magic, baby. They don't know what they look like, but <laughs> they can understand a sentence or two. He understands the Drac wants to know his name in return and gives the Drac his name as Willis Davidge. He again demands some food and the Drac skewers a disgusting looking slug-like creature on a stick. As horrible as the slug looks and Davidge imagines, must taste, he is so ravenous with hunger that he suddenly leans forward, bites off a piece of the slug and forces himself to chew and swallow, much to the Drac's disgust. <laughs> that was gnarly. It was that's gross. A, that's a really gross ass slug. <laughs> like the Drac should have said something like it's alien penis or something. Just something it just goes <laughs> sheet <laughs> but this is also the first time we truly see lewis gossett jr in all of his makeup and it's flawless yeah like you can't even tell there's, there's the costume where's the, there's no seam there's nothing there like where's the zipper <laughs> how long did that makeup take you know what I'll bet you that that makeup took no more than an hour because back then, like I get that they take like nine, 10 hours sometimes with people in the makeup chair for this. But back then it was like, we got to get in and out and move. Let's make this go. And they probably just, you know, use spirit gum on the eyes. And then, cause it, his mouth is his mouth. It's just got the covering over it. Oh, he a, had to put the he had to put know. the he had to put the teeth in. Yeah, you know. Later, still the Drac is sleeping while Davidge tries in his un to in his uncomfortable position. A meteorite strikes the ground near him, and suddenly the sky is alight with a meteor shower. Davidge's frightened shouts awaken the Drac, who utters the word "Zerky" in its native tongue. It starts to run for the cave, pauses, and cuts Davidge's feet free so he can follow it into a nearby cave for shelter. There is something very natural about this opposites attract story. It doesn't feel forced at all. No, not once. It really doesn't. I like as soon as he runs over and grabs uh, and does his feet, I was like, this is what you would do in a survival situation. Because regardless of what's happening, regardless of how much you hate each other, you're trying to, st you still have the, you have to have the other person to survive. Someone's got to watch while you're sleeping. There has to be somebody. Yeah. The drag falls asleep again and Davidge manages to free his hands on some of the rocks in the cave. He takes the knife and appears ready to kill the drag. But as he looks on its face while it sleeps, he cannot bring himself to do the deed. Really? Now is now when? Now is the time? I guess because he saved him. Yeah. You know? He's like, okay, bro. I I'll let you go okay. this time. But I'm going to give you shit tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> 
He goes to the direct ship and finds several containers of emergency food supplies. The food pellets look, smell, and taste absolutely horrendous to Davidge's human sense of taste, but he forces one of the pellets down. Suddenly, he's knocked down from behind, and the Drac makes a menacing noise, holding its rifle, rifle at Davidge. Using gestures and body language in an attempt to make his human language intelligible, Davidge manages to convey that the two of them need to gather up whatever supplies they can from the wreckage and find a place to build a suitable shelter, or else they will most likely die in the next meteor shower. It's funny how um, the Drac people, they have crashed vehicle precautions, such as food. <laughs> yes. Such as other things. Human? No. No. Well, maybe he did. He's so far from his ship. It may have been in there. He just went on his mission. Because we never see a ship ever again, do we? No. No. It, <laughs> but... He's a squatter. <laughs> you would bring your food with you, though. Well, Yes. Unless he was planning to kill and going back. Well, he was starving, so he clearly didn't have anything. Well, he was starving now. Well, he was also not very full when he ran to drag ship. Right, right. But he was going to run back and get food, I'm sure. Was he? Do you think he was going to dine on alien penis? <laughs> what else was he going to eat? Shoot. <laughs> what else was he going to eat? Maybe whatever was in his ship. We don't know. How did? How, how can you know you can eat alien food without dying? I'm sure there were rations on his ship. I, I don't think so. I have to believe that at that point, the human race has figured out, you better bring some stuff in the event of. <laughs> better bring a snack. Bring a sleeping bag. It's a little snack pack. <laughs> some pudding. Get some pudding. <laughs> when, you're, when you're crashed, <laughs> marooned on an island, what do you wish for the most? Pudding. Just pudding. Just pudding. Just some chocolate pudding. <laughs> if you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? <laughs> I sure would. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite planet? <laughs> Mine's the sun. <laughs> uh, that's not a planet. <laughs> he's, a, he's, he's a gem. <laughs> I broke Joe. I can't. I broke Joe. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I can't. If you were marooned on an <laughs> what would you bring? Pudding for me. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> you know what you read, Dick? <laughs> oh, yes, I do. It's um. Uh, uh, where are we? <laughs> 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 oh, there. Yeah, the drag. The drag makes it. The, yeah. dra <laughs> <laughs> the drag. The drag makes Dav Davich carry most of the salvageable supplies so it can keep its rifle at the ready. They find a clearing where Davich. I need to say Davich. I just keep saying Davich. Davich. That's a stupid fucking name. What were you mispronouncing last time? You kept saying it was. Oh, a, was it Janet? No, you, see, you kept going Janice. Janice. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, Janet. Damn it, Janice. Damn it, Janice. <laughs> they find a clearing where Davidge, it's a stupid name, builds a hut as best <laughs> as he can. Call him Willis. <laughs> okay, Willis. 
During this time, both he and Drac manage to learn a little about each other's languages. The Drac tells him the shelter isn't solid. Davidge lightly kicks the inside door, screaming, Solid as can be, and laughs. <laughs> but it's the Drac that is the last laugh when the shelter suddenly collapses. I mean, Sheet. I mean, it looked like a nice shelter. It looked like a really nice shelter. Uh, this was the beginning of the friendship. And you know what? And we, it was a great, perfectly timed, hilarious moment. We always learn the bad words first in a new language. Always. You learn shit first. Sheet. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. Okay. The two are at the campfire where the Drac is learning more of the human tongue. Davidge has begun calling the Drac Jerry, a contraction of Jeriba. Even though Drac's names are spoken surname first and Jerry's given first name is Shigan. During the conversation, Davidge mentions an earth saying that Jerry seems somewhat familiar with. And Jerry asks if he learned the great Drac teacher, Shizmar. Davidge sarcastically says he learned it from Mickey Mouse. <laughs> but Jerry takes him seriously, deciding that Mickey Mouse must be a great human teacher. Chalk up another victory for the human spirit. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, uh, this was actually really funny because uh, I'm in the middle of Stephen King's fairy tale. Okay. And there's, in this world, so there's two separate worlds. Yeah. And the main character is talking to one of the uh, old royalty of the land. And he's blind, but the person that came before the main character and is kind of like his mentor in the human world mm. or like friend, whatever, gave him Braille because he's he's blind. Okay. And he was like, I'm friends with these people. They're different than me. But he gives him Braille and he talks about like, you know, there's no princes and princesses in the human world. And it's like, but we have like, you know, saviors and people. And he brings up Jesus, a prince of earth okay yeah yeah. And it was a funny little moment is like he thinks mickey mouse is like gandhi and why wouldn't he he does he has no reference no these great. are just sounds that come out of our mouths great earth man teacher great earth man teacher <laughs> mickey mouse or in china mickey mao yeah but he but he also yeah you ugly head <laughs> <laughs> Uh, See, we come together yeah. in insults and comedy. We learn a lot of stuff from cartoons that lasts our lifetime. Yeah, and it really, one thing I noticed about this movie, the humor in this movie is aged well. It's still funny. The only pop culture reference is Mickey Mouse, and that damn thing's not going anywhere anytime Nowhere. soon. And that's the thing. That's why it's timeless humor in this, because you don't rely on something that of the moment. Yeah. All right, Davidge is carrying more supplies from the wreckage to the campfire. When he happens to spot one of the turtle-like creatures, he grabs at it, but it scuttles away very quickly. Although this creature has a turtle-like shell, the rest of its body is decidedly different, and it moves quite rapidly when it chooses. At the camp, Davidge cooks another of the slug-like creatures when Jerry appears to be praying and meditating. A small tome attached to a chain where Jerry often wears around his neck open before him. The book is called the Talman, and it is the Drax people's sacred book, much like the human Bible. Davidge has constructed a bow and arrows with which he hopes to procure better food sources. <laughs> He's not going to hit anything with that bow and arrow. Uh, but Jerry feels they will be rescued soon. An argument soon arises over their respective people's sacred teachers and which race started the war, ending when Davidge insults Shizmar in a grievous way. Jerry retaliates by calling Mickey Mouse a great stupid dope. And it is all Davidge can do to stop himself from bursting out laughing. Arrogance may not be a uniquely American trait, but I must say you do it better than anyone. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. 
Yeah, he's got the little to- the little little Bible on his neck. Yeah, it's perfect. It's a little like micro ten page Bible. Yeah, and Talmud, whatever it's the whole religion. It makes it in seem about as though, ten sentences. It, like it, I love it. It, it it's simple. It's not bloated. Simple. Just give me the points. And I love the fact that when later on, when they're going over what certain things mean, they are foundational principles in every society to live by. Yes. Like Davage, like, oh, we've got something like that also on our planet. And it's like, yeah, because these are simple civilizational things. Civilizational creations. Yeah. Religion. Davage is hunting. <laughs> you said it, not me. Do what must be done. Smite me, almighty smiter. Find a happy place. Find a happy place. Find a happy place. Okay, Davidge is hunting the next day and fires an arrow right into the head of one of the turtle-like creatures. Though badly wounded, it is still able to move. Davidge chases it and falls into the pit of loose sand. And my nightmares begin. He watches in horror as the long pink tendril, that sounds weird, emerges and feels the air for sense and vibrations. Or hot. I had an awesome time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, where's the Bill Murray one? (laughs) Got it coming here. Okay. So uh, it looms very close, unfamiliar with Davidge's scent, but finally it rears back and coils around his leg. Is that dirty enough for you? Yeah. Uh, The tendril constricts Davidge's leg and the rough edges of the tip of it lacerates his flesh. Oh, that got dark. Uh, His grip breaks and he's about to be dragged into the bottom of the pit when Jerry catches his hand and fires his rifle, severing the tendril and saving Lando. I mean... Saving Davidge. Uh, Davidge, that's what I meant. There is a great churning from the sand at the bottom of the pit and great roaring noises before the terrible head of the creature to whom the tendril belonged. It emerges, spreading a gaping maw full of sharp teeth. Jerry fires again, sending several blasts into the creature's head and destroying it. This is the most iconic part of the movie. I still fucking hate that thing. This is the most iconic part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this really is such a... In my opinion, underrated movie. Not a lot of people, not a lot of my friends know this movie or they've seen it once in their childhood and that was it. That's, yeah. I mentioned it to several people today. Nobody like, knows what? about this. I'm like, it's so underrated. It really is. Yeah. Um, but I remember watching that- this again. Was he getting his leg degloved or it, was that just. It looked like the skin was, was coming off. Pulling right off. Yes. It's like this movie is gnarly. It's gross. We'll get to the later stuff, but this was, I remember as a kid, like, what? Yeah, yeah. The the worst glo- degloving I've ever seen uh-huh. is, it's it's from a movie that I'm, I'm probably sure you didn't like, which was... Gerald's Game? Yes. Yeah, as a whole, I didn't like that movie. When she pulled her hand out, yeah. that was disgusting. Uh, Hellraiser, the new one. Okay, yes. Yeah, they yeah. start to de-glove his arm. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, yes. Give me more. Give me more. Yep. Uh, yeah, but I remember the head of the beast being something much crazier. But maybe Honestly, I, I didn't even remember the monster at all. I just remember the tent, the tendril, yeah. the, the, the appendage. Okay. Yeah, for me, in my head, I knew there was a tendril. I knew it, it was going to struggle, and then the beast was going to come out. But in my head, I thought it was a lot bigger. And then when I watched it, I was like, Oh, it's like a pug. <laughs> it's a, uh, oh crap. It's kind of a cute little guy. 
Jabba the Hutt. Jabba has one. The Mandalorian. Crumb. No, so the Mando has one. Grogu. No, the big the big guy he rides. The big guy he rides. The big a bantha. A bantha. Okay. It's like a bantha. Okay. In the face. Jabba has a bantha. Yeah. When is Jabba ever riding a bantha? No, not riding when he had one. Oh. In his cell. When he drops the girl in there. And he drops Luke in there. That was a rancor. Rancor, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) You fucking nerd. Bantha's the fucking elephant thing. (laughs) That the uh, the sand people ride on. Okay. Yeah. No, a rancor. Sorry. Okay. Rancor. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a rancor in the face. Yes, it is rancor face. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, back at camp, Jerry cauterizes and wraps Davidge's wound. That's not going to do it. Dav- <laughs> That's going to be infected. You're going to die. You're going to die. That needs to come off. Yep. David Davidge asks why Jerry saved his life, and Jerry says he needed to look at another face, even if it was Davidge's. Jerry naturally finds humans as ugly in comparison to Drax, as Davidge must consider Drax to be in comparison to humans. But the terrible creature in the sand pit was worse to both of them. Davidge's hand happens to fall on one of the discarded shells. He realizes that the sand pit creature couldn't bite through them, and the shells might even be able to repel meteors. That's a leap. Here comes science, baby. <laughs> Here's why, in my opinion, it makes sense. Okay. In this hostile environment, Uh when a meteor shower is prevalent on this planet, Mm -hmm. there has to be some type of evolutionary change to happen for these creatures to survive. Okay. There it is. So they can't... So to be fair... To be fair. To be fair. It's not going to block a meteor. (laughs) It's going to kill that damn thing. Movie magic, baby. No. (laughs) It's a science fiction movie, but I'm, I'm so glad that the little turtle creatures, yeah, this happens because what is the other answer to meteor proofing? I mean, you could just go in the cave, which they do, (laughs) (laughs) but you don't want to move because you spent $24 million on the one set. But like it, like they build the, 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 the meat, the, the, what do you call it? The, the, the hut. The, the thank you, the shelter. They build the shelter, and it's supposed to be meteor proof. It is. When a tree falls on it, it's f***ed. Well, look, here's the thing. <laughs> One meteor, baseball, golf ball, whatever you want to hit, hits the shield. It's fine. Okay. And a giant tree. I mean, these trees are like redwood trees. They're huge. I think you're exaggerating a little bit now. How am I exaggerating? They weren't that big. Did you, do you need to rewatch the football scene? Those it trees? was like a maple tree. Those were not maple trees. Okay, they were, like they were oaks. Wood. Those were oaks. They I had an oak in my backyard that looked the same size. Thick boys. They, they are thicker than oaks. The great Oz has spoken. <laughs> they were thicker than oaks. <laughs> okay, fine. He who squats to pee. <laughs> Listen, that was a baby redwood. A baby. <laughs> <laughs> Those are big trees with big trunks. Okay. We shall agree to disagree on this one. <laughs> it was like the size of a fly half on the rugby's. Come on. I think those trunks are massive. You're on fire today. Yeah, I know. It's that one beer. 
Jerry is reading his Talmud again. Dav- <laughs> Let's go back to religion now. Davidge decides to pass the time if he could learn the Drac language from Jerry so he can learn some of Shizmar's philosophies. Jerry feels that the insult Davidge rendered to Shizmar makes him beneath such an undertaking. Davidge promptly calls Jerry out on being a hypocrite as he had promptly insulted Mickey Mouse in return. I love how serious he is when he says it too. But Jerry quickly apologizes for this, saying it was wrong and didn't mean it. Davidge offers the same apology in return, and Jerry hangs the Talman on the chain around Davidge's neck on becoming a tutor. The book, according to his people, must be given to the student. I've always wanted that damn necklace. So have I. I want to know what it is. Always wanted that fucking thing. I love this scene too. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Oh, it's a it's a passing it's a passing of faith. It's a passing of trust. Yeah, it is a passing of this is the foundation to my entire culture. Mm-hmm. And I noticed something about this, and that it is this is a positive positive connection scene. Many times the connections that you have in these opposites attract things is a positive negative connection, mm-hmm. and this is the first one where trust was built beforehand and then they came together, uh, which again, is why this one feels so natural compared to everything else that's come yeah. after it. Uh, Davidge gives a voiceover among a short montage, a scene showing how time passes, and he and Jerry continue to eke out an existence in the hostile world. They eat, they sleep, they stay the Talman. And at night, Davidge sometimes <laughs> dreams of a rescue. He's awakened one night, thinking he's heard the sound of a ship's engines and barely catches a glimpse of a ship lights. But on looking outside the shelter, he cannot find a damn thing. Davidge is reading a passage of the Talmud aloud as Jerry listens. Jerry is not at all surprised when Davidge says the passage is something he's read in the human version of the book, the Bible, saying simply, truth is truth. It says, however, that Shizmar's words take on new meaning when sung. Jerry begins to sing another passage when suddenly another meteor shower strikes, and the two of them must hurry to their meteor-proof sh- shelter. Those meteor showers come out of nowhere, though, don't they? Yeah, they hey, do. They, that's jarring. Like, I'm wondering... I don't remember seeing like a belt on any of the surrounding planets or moons. No. So I was like, where's, where's all this? Where are these rocks coming from? Space trash coming from. <laughs> it's just the war above them. Shit falling. Oh, it's just all the shit. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> now, Jerry moves noticeably slower. And I didn't notice until I watched it the second time. That he is moving slower in the run. Yeah. Okay. And even seems to stumble once or twice as they hurry to the shelter. Worry over how Jerry could have been hurt leads Davidge carelessly to make a remark return referring to the human versus Drac war. Jerry quickly becomes defensive and a heated argument erupts that escalates into a physical altercation. Afterward, they both lay exhausted on the ground inside the hut and Davidge realizes that he and Jerry are starting to go crazy from the isolation and struggle to survive. Jerry, I think we're going a little crazy. It's it's a cool scene. I like I like it. Uh, it I like, is because it's not going to be all rainbows and fucking butterflies, right? Just because you shared some time in the prayer booth doesn't mean it all, it's all going to be great. No, you're both easily fired up and triggered, and they're hanging by a thread, hanging by a fucking thread. I'm yes. sick of looking at your ugly head, ugly yeah. head, <laughs> you ugly, ugly head. head. <laughs> 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 Then Zamas does it later, too. <laughs> oh, my God. It's hilarious. Davidge finally decides to set out and explore more of the planet in hopes of locating the source of the sounds and lights he still believes he's heard and seen. Jerry, believing they are alone on the planet, declines to go along. Davidge can tell something is amiss with Jerry, but the Drac doesn't discuss it. Davidge's promises to return when he's satisfied with his need to investigate. If he cannot return, he and Jerry will probably both die. Davidge heads out, and <laughs> he... 
He heads out toward the glow of a lake of molten lava. He's originally elated and whoops in pure delight at the sight of a temporary core sampling camp and two empty bottles of Pepsi-Cola. Pepsi's around still. Hey, Pepsi, baby. He finds a large pile of junk metal, proof of a mining operation on the planet, but Davidge's joy is short-lived as he finds a dire and terrible discovery amongst the junk, the skull of a drac with a human bullet hole in the front, proving the drac to whom the skull belonged was killed by the gunshot to its brain. Uh, I love the red and green really popping out against this background. Mm-hmm. Like, it almost feels like if this is a uh, Michael Bay movie, it'd be overly saturated, but it actually just looks <laughs> regular. Um and alone, this is where you find that Davidge's perspective on the drag species has changed. It yeah. isn't how they treat Jerry. It's that he, it's the, in what he witnesses without Jerry. Which yeah. so many of these things, like I reference Green Card, the movie Green Card. It's like the guy had to see people being racist yeah. to realize that there's racism. There's racism. <laughs> like, it doesn't <laughs> happen. Like, yeah. Oh, oh, I saw it. I guess it's something, huh? <laughs> it's I, I ask about it. Therefore, it's real. Right. This is also interesting because when you when I got to the scene, I was like, where is this movie going? Yeah, you don't really know. No. The whole thing is just them on the planet. Because I'm thinking to myself, if they start a brand new piece of the story where it's now we're going to find the scavengers later on. And they're a threat. That's a whole different movie. Yeah. Davidge gives a voiceover. Oh, voiceover's back. Hey, there yeah. he is. Amid scenes where he grimly confirms what he owned or already knows, the planet is being used by scavengers, outlaw, human miners, and pirates are living at the darkest underbelly of human society. They strip and rape entire planets bare of their resources, looking for precious ores and metals. Earth's military tolerates them barely because they kidnap Drax for slave labor for their mining operations. It was a scavenger ship he had heard and seen. But they've never seen them never they said <laughs> these scavengers would kill damage as soon as they saw him both for his part being part of earth's defense militia as well as engaging in any kind of cooperation with a drac in the very beginning they talk about a spaceship uh-huh They're all there uh-huh and earth is just a fleeting memory they're so far out uh-huh where are the miners staying where uh, the miners live how did the people on Waterworld know there were golf courses? <laughs> you know what? Movie magic, baby. So let's keep the train rolling. Let's keep the train rolling. <laughs> Damage returns to Jerry at the shelter. Winter has fallen. Oh, win- <laughs> winter is coming. Winter has fallen on Firing 4. Jerry is pleased to see Damage and finally reveals what has been amiss with it. And the true reason it couldn't go with Damage. Jerry's pregnant, preparing to give birth to a baby drac. Jerry reminds Davidge that unlike humans, the Drac people are hermaphroditic and they reproduce automatically when it is time. Procreation among the Dracs is not something that only happens without through deliberate choice as it is with humans. Well, that sucks. You yeah. Just, you just get just pregnant. one day you're pregnant and that's it. Damn. <laughs> that's a raw deal for the Dracs. That's a big old raw deal. I'm sure Jerry had plans. Jerry had, <laughs> Jerry had dreams. Uh, I did like this moment because Jerry was almost offended in a way when Davi started laughing and like kind of excited, but he yeah. was also like, you're having a kid, you're having a baby. And he was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And it's that moment where I feel like, okay, there's not, there's something we're not being told. Right. There's something underneath this. And it's probably because they don't survive. And they, that's, don't, they don't survive the birth. Yeah. And, that's, and he has no idea. And Drac doesn't tell him that. And that was something that I wish was revealed at some point because 
it could be the fact that the Drax, when they give birth, they don't survive, but it could also be that just the stress of the situation caused his death when, yes, I mean, it could have been that also, but you're right. I like your way of telling you, which is that this might be something where that the, the pregnancy, that the birth is also a death. Yeah. And it would almost make more sense that he didn't tell him because in that cycle, there is no passing of knowledge from parent to child. It is my life's over. Yours is here. Mm-hmm. But, but this is also like perfect timing because he's already started building the trust with Davidge and he's kind of now grooming Davidge to take over. Yeah. Uh, Davidge has no idea though. (laughs) Jerry asked Davidge if he found what he was looking for. Davidge had been wrestling throughout the trip back on what to tell Jerry, finally deciding he can't share his findings about the scavengers and the danger they represent because Jerry's pregs. Davidge finally tells Jerry that he found nothing as Jerry believed. The two of them are alone. Uh, I do like that Davidge is now sharing his humanity because we've seen Jerry sharing his Mm -hmm. dracility. And now we're seeing it. It's it's reciprocated now, which is nice. More time passes and Jerry is sewing a garment for his child. When asked by Davidge if he picked a name out for the Drek baby, Jerry says the baby's name will be Zamis. <laughs> I love how he kicked the little <laughs> legs. He's yes. like, Zamis. <laughs> there is so much to glean here. Two men can prepare for a child. An interesting and subtle message. A young Joe can understand and get behind. Yes. I can get behind that. Okay. Davidge and Jerry are asleep in their shelter. Suddenly the ground beneath that beside them begins to shift and a small sinkhole begins to appear. You've got to be kidding me. Another of the sandpit creatures has been moving underground and found them. The creature's long tongue slithers out from the sand and tastes the air. The tongue wraps around Jerry's neck. So the tongue wraps around Jerry's neck, choking him so he cannot yell and begins to drag it toward the creature's gaping jaws. Ah! Oh! 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 Oh, oh, <laughs> Jerry thrashes and kicks about in desperation. Slowly, Davidge begins to awaken and suddenly snaps to full alertness. Without hesitating or thinking, he turns into the, turns to the smoldering remains of the campfire, scoops up a large double handful of the white hot coals in his bare hands. The f***. What a boss. And tosses them down the sandpit creature's throat. The creature lets go of Jerry and thrashes about in agony, wrecking the shelter, hurrying away. Oh, so the creature can wreck it too. Hurrying away from the terrible monster before it can recover, Davidge and Jerry hurry to find a new, more natural shelter from behind, from both the creature and the bitter cold and driving snow and wind. Oh shit, that thing could travel underground. Oh my God. (laughs) The shelter couldn't handle the tree falling on it. I was going to handle a meteor. (laughs) That's what I wrote in there. It's a big ass f-ing tree, dude. You can deflect, deflect, crush, ricochet, crush. I mean, it's all in what you want to believe. Exactly. I'm just being like back goofy. To, like Back to the Future Two is better than Back to the Future Three. Eight year old Joe would have believed this. Yeah, yeah. In an effort, but is this a kids movie? <laughs> it is now. Right now, yeah. Outside of the degloving that we saw and what's going to happen later. what's going to happen in the future. (laughs) Yeah. 
In an effort to keep both of them focused, Davidge asked Jerry to tell him about the name it chose for its baby. Jerry explains that unlike humans, each Drac family cycles through five names continuously. The names themselves mean nothing, but it is the deeds each Drac achieves through its lifetime that matter and must be remembered. Jerry's clan, the Jeriba family, cycles through the names Teague, Islaine, Gothic, Shigan, and Zamis. As Jerry's given name is Shigan, its baby is to be called Zamis, and then the cycle would begin again with another Jeriba tie. This is world building. This yeah, is world done so simply yeah. and so perfectly. It's a natural conversation too. Like people would ask, "Oh, why'd you choose that name?" Yeah, it's not the great King Durin sat under the mountain and the <laughs> blah 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 and the blah blah blah, no. and then a dragon came through and blah 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 blah. It's yeah, uh, no, his name is this, and it's the cycle, and that's how it goes. I also, and I don't know if it's in this scene, but he asks him about his parents. And, and Davidge says, well, my mom was a cook mm. and my dad was a farmer. And then he, J- uh, Jerry says it back to Davidge in a way that actually makes him sound very honorable. He says something like, you know, Dav- Willis Davidge, son of Bob, the farmer, and Betty Lois, a waitress who cooked food for people. And it was like, it's this a different way of how you look at how you explain your parentage. And I was like, just the way you worded it, I was like, that was a brilliant move right there because it's giving Davidge a sense of honor that maybe he didn't have. Yeah. And, and it reminds me of um, like Japanese culture mm-hmm. where, you know, somebody who picks up, you know, somebody who uh, like picks up trash or, or like is a train ticket puncher yes. or like a plane, uh, an airplane person, person that directs the plane in and unloads the baggage. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, you can have a sense of honor in it. Yes. And you can, you yourself can have honor in it and people can also go, yeah, thank you so much. This is that you, because you do this, this is what happens. And that's something that I think, especially in our culture in, in America, we, tend to have an issue with, which is jobs are necessities. That means that someone is fulfilling a need and that need makes that person non-expendable. Yes. And so everything should be done with that sense of honor in that position. It's what I've always liked about the Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. I've liked that. I wish we had that here. I also like the fact that in Japanese culture, they actually revere the aged, whereas here we... Shit on. Oh, yeah. A lot of things we could learn from other cultures and exactly. species like the Drax. It's all part of the plan. More time passes and suddenly Jerry realizes that it's time to deliver zombies, but it can tell that something is dreadfully wrong, although it doesn't know what. See, this is where I was wondering whether or not he knew he was going to die or not. Because he says something's wrong. Yeah, but this is like a, a Girl that has never experienced oh yeah okay before okay something is wrong something okay. is off yeah he doesn't have the people around him that he would normally have to tell him oh guess what kid you've lived a life bye 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 
Still, it realizes that these birthing complications are very serious. Davidge quickly goes into a panic at the thought of losing Jerry, who by now has become his dearest and on firing, his only friend. Davidge's fears only intensify as Jerry suddenly calms down and begs Davidge to take its place as a parent for zombies, and that one day, Davidge must fulfill the role that Jerry itself was destined for, to bring zombies before the Holy Council on the Drac home world and recite its lineage that the Jeriba clan will not be ended. Okay, there we go. They don't die on birth, childbirth. If it's his duty to bring his child to the Holy Council. But it could be the family's duty. But he doesn't have a family. That's true. Yeah, so I guess. Okay. It, so I guess it is a complication. There we go. It's a complication thing. Okay. Um, yeah. I guess that makes sense. He was sewing all the clothing and the kid, like he was expecting to live. Maybe he didn't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, He's a toad face. I don't know. He's a toad face. <laughs> Jerry is only satisfied when Davidge vows to do this. Jerry tells Davidge that he must pull open the birthing sack along Jerry's abdomen to deliver his zombies. <sighs> That's going to be a no for me, dog. Time for a cesarean. Uh, Davidge can only watch helplessly as Jerry slowly passes on and dies. Stri oh, Jerry! Stricken in horror, Davidge sits numbly but then notices the birthing sack moving. He pulls it open and extracts the newborn Drac baby Zamis, looking it over in wonder. When that thing starts moving, that was kind of creepy, actually. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Not, uh, not a pretty birth, but when is birth ever pretty? Yeah. There's a, there's a really, really sweet acting decision that Dennis Quaid does in this. As he's explained to Jerry that all pregnant things get nervous, he wipes a tear from Jerry's face midway through the sentence. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that, that was, that was an acting choice right there, right there. Just, yeah. I got you, buddy. And, uh, ripping the sack open. Brutal, brutal way to give birth. <laughs> and that baby track, it's kind of cute. Gross. Cute. Sure. It's, you know, covered in slime. It reminds me of the baby that was delivered to men in black. It's a thing. It's yeah. a thing. It's I'll, a thing. Yes. I'll give you that. A despondent Davidge buries Jerry in a grave. Bury Jerry. Bury. <laughs> Buries Jerry in a grave of rocks. Get a fucking job, Jerry. <laughs> Realizing that with all Jerry taught him about the task he's undertaken, it taught Davidge nothing about properly taking care of a baby drac. Davidge finds himself struggling, but manages to successfully feed baby zombies, gently holding the baby close against him and popping a nipple in its... No, I'm sorry. Within, <laughs> <Jesus> <laughs> within the bundle of heavy skin garments that keep him warm. Had all that time preparing? Didn't... Talk about how they were to raise the kid once? Not once. Well, Bad Jerry. I, Bad Jerry. I, that, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I guess, and it makes more sense that he, you know, he would live through the birthing process because he knows. Right, but you would. And he, he thinks he's going to survive the birthing process. I don't know. It's just kind of like, you. I would have thought that would have come up at some point. Like, what do babies eat? Well, how are you yeah, going to the do, baby? How, how are you going to take care of the baby, Jerry? Yeah, you don't have boobies. How's that work? Do you lactate? <laughs> Can I try some? Can you milk the cat, fucker? <laughs> Zombies grows faster than a human child, quickly growing for the sake of plot to about the size of a human youth just transitioning into adolescence and able to think, reason, and communicate. Davidge teaches young Zamis how to play football using puffballs, an edible fungus native to the planet, as the ball. Okay, so the baby woes were short-lived. <laughs> Kid grew up. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and it's nice. It has it has a because you don't know how much time is passing, but he mentions in the and a uh, narration narration yeah that he grows way faster than a human child yeah 
like it, way faster. Yeah. He, and he's he, even like saying like, Jesus Christ, kid, to, I'm resowing things faster than I can. You grow. Got to kill more animals out yeah. there, <laughs> which what animals are you killing? We've seen the turtle and we've seen the monster yeah, in the that, pit. $24 million. Come on. Okay. There's, there's nothing else. One day, Zamis begins to question why it is different from Davidge. It knows what it looks like by having seen its reflection in a pool of water within their cave, and then it looks different from Davidge. Zamis understands that it is of a different race than Davidge, who has taught Zamis to call him uncle, and that Davidge isn't its parent, but as there are no other Drax available to help Zamis appreciate its race and people, it desperately wishes it were human like Davidge. And this is where the diff movie differs from other unlikely partnership movies. The lessons that Davidge has learned, he can now pass on to Zamis. We never see this part of the story in other iterations of this same formula. We are no, and which is funny because it works perfectly. Usually, you the could go ahead. rip this movie off a million times mm -hmm. just for the structure of bonding. Usually, the, these movies would have ended with the birth and then. So I raise the child and then you end and that's it. But now you're seeing the passing on of the knowledge and the lessons that he's learned about. I can't want to say this tolerance for other races. Huh. How about that? You know, lesson learned. Yeah. Or you get Thor to take over uh, Gore's daughter and just have a daddy daughter slay fest. So many ways to take what you just said. <laughs> What? Why are you going that way? No, well, no, it's because you said then Thor takes Gore's daughter and uh, yeah, from Blood a little Thunder. daddy daughter sleigh fest. Oh my god, <laughs> daddy daughter murder fest. How about that? Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> That's how the movie ends. I know. Yeah, this one we have more to go. Okay, we got more. Yes. Uh, we also see the scavenger ship landing nearby, and Davidge goes to investigate on his own, and the other sees other Drax being enslaved. Um, the day eventually comes when Zamis is Zamis is able to explore. He learns about the scavenger mine, and despite Davidge telling him, "Don't you go near that," he's gonna go near it because he's a fucking kid, and it's smart. Yeah, because that's what I would do as a kid. Exactly, that's what they do. Uh, bewildered and horrified at the sight of human scavengers beating Drax slaves, Zamis turns away only to find two of the scavengers standing right before him. Stubbs, that guy you've seen in movies, movies. one of the scavenger leaders, and his younger brother Johnny, who doesn't Not have a name. that guy who you've seen in <laughs> movies. The two of them grab Zamis when suddenly an arrow pierces through the back of Johnny's neck and out through his throat, killing him. Davidge stands there. Bow at the ready, like Hawkeye. Unfortunately, after breaking free, Zamis runs between Davidge and Stubbs, distracting Davidge and throwing off his aim. Stubbs whips out his pistol and fires a shot, severely wounding Davidge. Zamis screams in horror as he watches his uncle tumble down the hill before Stubbs grabs him and drags him off to the mine as a new slave. Why on earth would Zamis get in the way of the arrow? He doesn't know any better. He's been hunting with uncle. Has he? I'm guessing those, he must've gone on a trip to get some clothes. Could be protective. Let's go to the Salvation Army. Who knows? To, I, I mean, I would, if I were, if anything were to happen to me, I would like my nephew, Samis, to know how to hunt and take care of himself. Exactly. Which also being alone on that planet would be hell. Oh, yes. Okay, so so I got some things to point out real quick. I'm listening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the first thing is uh -huh. another great 1980s pistol. Uh, 
Stu doesn't just mortally wound him. He shoots him directly in the chest. Yes, he does. <laughs> directly in the chest. Uh, and a thought that it just occurred to me. How does he get on the spaceship? Okay. I'm glad you brought that up because it says here two searchlights sweep the vicinity and converge on Davidge. So it must've been a rescue mission. What rescue mission? What rescue mission after three years? Number two, I don't remember seeing that at all. Well, I must've looked away or went to go to the bathroom. Congress moves slowly. (laughs) (laughs) It's like interstellar, you know, time moves way faster on the planet than it does in the spaceship. They did say that he's a dead body. Why would you? Well, right. Unless he had a homing thing on him, but that's never explained. He never did. Yeah. That's never explained. Um, but yeah, we're, we're back on an earth space station now. Sure. Okay. This is where things like kind of get a little shaky. It's a little weird now because I thought as soon as he got shot, I was like, okay, where is this going now? Yeah. That's a mortal wound. It's directly in the chest. <laughs> um, but then I'm sitting there like, okay, back on the Earth space station, deceased military personnel are being given burials in space, placed into capsules, and jettisoned to float among the stars. They find a John Doe with a curious necklace with a small book on it. It's Davidge. Figuring that this John Doe won't need the booklet anymore, one worker tries to remove the necklace, and Davidge's hand suddenly seizes the worker by the throat. He's still alive. At no point they checked his vitals. <laughs> what kind of military establishment is this? What vitals would you have? If he's still alive, why would they put him in a body bag to send him out? And if they're giving military funerals, why is he a part of that? Well, he was in the military. How do they know? He's wearing military garb. Is he? Because they gave him a John Doe. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> This is where this is the only time it gets a little shaky. There's some shakiness here. There's some tomfoolery. <laughs> this is this is about as rickety as a shelter with turtle shells. Shut your mouth. <laughs> uh, I love how the recording of the music is all messed up. That's playing in the burial room. Oh yeah, it's like it's like a cassette tape that's been like warped, over warped. <laughs> Uh, Davidge is placed in a medical capsule and rushed to sick bay where, where he should have gone the first time, uh, where his peers and superiors confirm his identity. They're completely amazed to see that he is still alive after having disappeared three years ago over firing four and that he speaks the direct language fluently. He'd been speaking it in the state of delirium while being brought to sick bay. Generally people who are unconscious don't tend to speak a second language. No. Unless they're possessed. Unless they're possessed. Yes. Uh, and a language he probably didn't really speak a whole lot of with Zamis. Did they know it was the Drac language? How do they know? They'd never seen one before. Unless in those three years, years. they've made contact and now they're all best buddies now. Yeah, and they all know each other. Dracis. Dra- Draconese. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tracaris. So one guy says, three years, where the hell has he been? You just rescued him. You, 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 you just pulled him off the planet. <laughs> you know where he's been. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, got, it gets a little shaky, guys. Yeah, just, 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 just bear through it. This movie was in a zone. <laughs> yes, they, they had, yeah. 
No sooner is Davich healed and well again when he is determined to return to Firing Four to re- rescue Zamis. The fighter squadron leader, Arnold, cannot stop him. When Station Ops refuses to open the docking bay doors for him, Davidge uses his ship's cannons to blast them open and flies down to Firing. This is some shoddy military security. Let him go if he wants to be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. He blew a hole in the side of the ship. That should destroy everything in there. Uh, I don't know. This is called, well, we wrote him off the planet. How do we get him back back on? on. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't been cleared. Open up the door. I just love the fact that the guy goes, let him go if he wants to be an asshole. (laughs) That's his buddy. He's like, yeah, fuck him. Davidge infiltrates the scavenger camp, sneaking his way to where a group of Drax are working. He tries to speak to the Drax, asking them about zombies, even showing them his Talman. The Drax only stare until a scavenger overseer arrives and starts beating the Drax to make them return to work. Davidge kills the overseer, and the eldest of the Drax slaves finally answers Davidge, realizing who he is. He alone among the Drax is the in the mine knows how to speak English. He tells Davidge that Zamis is somewhere in the ship proper. Dude got grinded. That was the most gnarly kill of this. Like the the arrow in the throat, the degloving. <laughs> this was full on body being in a grinder. This it was is a lot to watch. This was Michael Myers at the end of Halloween ends. <laughs> oh my god! No, this was. It, it's it's I, funny. You know, it's it's wild. What? I have a friend. Who listens? Hello, Brandon. Hey, Brandon. Who enjoyed Halloween Ends? Oh, shit! Sincerely enjoyed Halloween Ends. Well, did you like Halloween Kills? Yes. Well, that would make sense. If you liked Halloween Kills, you probably liked Halloween Ends. You and I did not like Halloween Kills, and we walked out of Halloween Ends. How can you? You know, I, I told people at work, I was like, th- th- exactly 57 minutes in, I turned to my buddy Sam and I said, if Michael Myers doesn't kill these two motherfuckers right now, we're out of here. <laughs> and when he only killed the one, you were like, that was one. And I'm like, we're going. <laughs> um, Dad, yeah, they're, they're, oh, totally okay. Just taking the gore all the way up like this could oh. have easily been a pg-13 movie if not a pg movie oh this is this is a pg movie with spikes of gore, gore. spikes <laughs> of intense gore right. it's almost it comes out of nowhere and maybe that's why i like it so much because it's so unexpected and like kind of real that's what i think i think it feels real it's super effective because it just comes out of nowhere yeah like the arrow in the throat that was a lot. When he turned around, you're like, God damn, that's in his fucking throat. George. Yeah. Yeah. Even he wouldn't show that. Remember? Oh, yeah, that's right. He <laughs> shy away from it. You're like, ah, yeah, you know it's in there. Oh, yeah, you know he's getting grinded. Uh, Davidge kills another scavenger overseer and takes his clothing. He finds his way to where Zamis is locked in a cramped cage. Seeing Zamis is alive, albeit barely, he pries open the cage door. At that moment, Stubbs, that guy, arrives with two scavenger miners. They found the severed ear of the overseer Davidge killed and dropped into the gears of an ore processor. Stubbs gets a close look at Davidge's face and recognizes him. He, he grabs Zamis and orders the worker to bring Davidge along. Davidge fights back and takes out the two miners. He grabs a pistol because 
again, we're still there's, using there's these pistols and whatever. Here. <laughs> oh, fun fact about Mr. Stubbs. Yes. I looked for a majority of his career. He was doing five to 10 roles a year. Holy shit. So you have seen this man this somewhere man. at some point. He's done stuff. <laughs> and a lot. Yes. So Davidge grabs a six shooter and kills a number of other scavengers. The Drax slaves are alerted to the noise, begin to understand what is going on and prepare an uprising. Arnold lands on firing with pilot Morse and her ship's co-pilot. They land beside Davidge's ship and make their way to the camp. Well, this is a bit unnecessary. <laughs> Why are they here? Them. Let him be an ant. Well, unless they're trying to bring him back because they've been ordered to get their friend under control and arrest him and put him in prison for stealing an aircraft and possibly destroying the space station. They got a chain of command problem. They got a huge chain of command. <laughs> yeah. But it feels more like, oh, our buddy, we need to help. Right. Right. And it's like they're walking into the Drax thing. Like, okay. We're here to help the Drax too, I guess. It's all good. Um, <laughs> Stubbs yells out to Davidge saying he's going to drop zombies into a mining cart that's on a conveyor system, uh, which we saw in Attack of the Clones, into molten lava. Davidge fights Stubbs, but is constantly forced to divert his attention to rescuing zombies, giving Stubbs an advantage. Stubbs finally knocks Davidge out and pushes him, both him and Zamas into the mining cart. As he yells and gloats, he is suddenly killed by a shotgun blast by the Elder Drac. Arnold shuts down the conveyor system and pulls Davidge and Zamas out of the cart. Everyone watches grimly as Davidge tearfully frets over Zamis until Zamis slowly reaches for Davidge's hand and weakly says, Zamis, get four, five. Davidge begins to laugh in relief at seeing that Zamis is alive and will recover. That was not molten lava. That was hot high sea orange drink. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was, that's what it looked like. Yeah, it was real bad. Uh, but hey, you know, $24 million only so far. Yeah. I get the Drax are okay with damage, but they seem to be perfectly fine with Morrison Arnold too. Yeah, totally fine. <laughs> Nothing wrong. Uh, it was funny. As soon as you said lava, all I could think about was from uh, Eureka. Well, actually, magma's underneath the crust where lava's on top. Another fine show fine that everyone show. should watch. <laughs> A closing narration tells that Davidge brought Zamis and all the Drax home to the Drac home world of Dracon and fulfilled his promise presenting Zamis to the Drac Holy Council and reciting the Jeriba lineage so that Zamis could officially join the Drac people and that when Zamis eventually reached adulthood and presented his own child, Jeriba Tai, before the council, the name Willis Davidge was added to the line of Jeriba. That's awesome. That's a great... It's really abrupt... But it is a fantastic ending. Also, it's a new narrator. For what? Hey, $24 million. You only had Dennis Quaid for so long. He could have recorded it on those days when he was sitting around. No, that's holding money, baby. That ain't working money. <laughs> but yeah, it's this is kind of a full circle deal. Yeah, and now it's, it's not, you know, I don't see a, uh, well, <laughs> I see uh, how the Drax have, come into human culture being enslaved. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the Drax, you're, you're honored. It's a it's cool, a really ending. cool ending. And you, you get to see a glimpse of the Drac home world. And it looks very similar to ours. Yeah. More water, more water. They yeah. love, they love the water. Yeah. Well, makes sense. They're toads. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
According to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a tomato reader, meter reading of 63%. Six fresh, four rotten. The critics gave this film a 5.8 out of 10. And you agree with the critics. Not on this. Oh, not on this no, one. I, anytime we do this, I'm like, I don't really know about that. Uh, the critics consensus says, Enemy Mind extracts thrilling sci-fi pulp from Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr.'s chemistry and inventive production design, but an overextended story diminishes the power of its central duo's relationship. I think I, the story is the strongest, strongest part of this. Thing yeah. No, that, that's wrong. The three critics we found that were rotten, the year 2000, the year 2004, the year 2006. We've seen a lot of these movies since then. So let's see how jaded these people got. Roger Ebert says, it depends on plot gimmicks like the convenient arrival of enemies and the equally convenient arrival of friends to the rescue. It doesn't dare enough. Did he just watch the last 20 minutes? <laughs> like, yeah, did you just start the first five minutes and then jump to the last 20? There's a whole movie where there's none of that. Right. And it also works because they explain very subtly and smartly the lore of both. Exactly. It's a sharing of cultures. <laughs> You're not supposed to know. We got Frederick and Marianne Broussat of Spirituality and Practice who said, a hard pill to swallow, despite the gallant efforts of Dennis Quaid and Lewis Gossett Jr. I enjoyed this movie from beginning to end. And this thing moved. It, I mean, look, their name is spirituality and practice. <laughs> and then there is Betsy Bosdeck of the DVD Journal. For a talky 80s sci-fi flick with decidedly unimpressive special effects and a generous share of really cheesy dialogue, Enemy Mind isn't half bad. Pause. Go get her. <laughs> I'm still so upset she called this a talky like she's just experiencing <laughs> movies with sound. The term talky came in what? The 1920s? I, 30s? <laughs> I just rewatched Frankenstein. That was a talky. A talky 80 sci-fi flick. Yeah. It's about two people learning and training their cultures. How many 80 sci-fi flicks were silent? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. This isn't Top Gun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the audience score is a 68% agreeing it's a three or higher. 3.6 out of five. Average score. Okay. I mean, I think it could be higher. It could be. Uh, but the movie's over. We entertained. And I will say this. Surprisingly, I was. I was worried that this film was going to be one of those ones that was great as a kid and hated as an adult. Like, when you, I was like, oh, God. I just bought this. <laughs> I hope this is good. And it was still pretty damn good. I looked at the reviews <laughs> on Rotten Tomato. I, basically, I looked at Rotten Tomato and IMDb. Yeah. And I saw the scores. And I was like, oh. Oh, no. Am I about to ruin a f***ing strong memory? I have? <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> uh, and to my surprise, this yeah. movie still rules. It absolutely does. Absolutely. This is the movie I that I would watch. Was... I would watch this in school. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think there's any bad language in there, is there? Oh, shit. He says shit. Sheet. <laughs> but it's so funny. Yeah, right. I, well, I think you're more concerned about the grinder than anything i've showed worse <laughs> <laughs> okay let's figure out if the awards got it right
At the Academy Awards? No nominations. Zero nominations. <laughs> at the Golden Globes? With zero <laughs> nominations. Now we go to the Saturn Awards. It was nominated, got one nomination for Best Actor. There uh, you go, Lewis. Lewis. There you go. Our Drac boy got a, a nomination. Uh, lost to Michael J. Fox and Back to the Future, though. Which, as far as performances go, I really got to give it to Lewis. Because he created an alien. Yeah. Where, yeah. and I love Mighty I love more Back to the Future. <laughs> I love Morty. <laughs> Horse before the carriage. <laughs> I love some Michael J. Fox. Get your shit together. <laughs> but I think Lewis outacted Michael J. Fox. I think Lewis had to do more with that role than Michael J. Fox. Way did more. Uh, yeah. I would say. I would say Michael J. Fox had to do less than Cocoon. <laughs> I would say Michael J. Le- Michael J. Fox had to do less than Return of the Living Dead. The only thing Maybe I can give Friday Night, like I think everybody outacted. Like like I said, I fucking love Michael J. Fox. Yes, he did a phenomenal job. He is forever in the history of everything. This was his breakout role in the end of the movies. Yeah. Because if you remember at the time, Michael J. Fox was filming family ties during the day. And then at night he would film this. He was sleeping like two hours a night working his ass off, that man. And he wasn't even the original cast member. Nope. It was Eric Stoltz. Uh, now it was also nominated for best makeup, but it lost to day of the dead by Tom Savini. It's hard to go against it's Savini. Hard to go against me. Yeah. But the makeup's pretty fucking good. (laughs) Uh, Best science fiction film, it lost to Back to the Future. Oh, Reanimator was in that too? Uh, Wow. Oh, for the best makeup? Yeah. Yeah. But best science fiction film, it was Back to the Future, A View to a Kill, Cocoon, Enemy Mind, and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? (laughs) Oh, yeah, we talked about this. What the fuck are you doing here? (laughs) I mean, Back to the Future. Back to the Future is, it's the gold standard. Yeah. Um, it's a perfect movie. But Emmy Mine is right there. It's pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, no MTV Movie Awards because it's not a thing. Uh, but now we go to top three, bottom three. I'll go first. My top three. Number three, Lewis Gossett Jr. and Dennis Quaid's chemistry on screen. I think it's fantastic. I like the way that it evolves. I think that they know how, they know how to act off each other uh, better than most. Uh, number two, the story is evolves naturally and I don't feel forced in the messaging. I feel like I'm along for the ride and I'm all in. And my number one, the Drac makeup is so good. Uh, so those are my three. What are your three, sir? Uh, the movie moves. <laughs> uh, I don't think I was bored a single moment and it is assisted by the well paced and thought out story. Mm-hmm. And while on with the story, it includes the learning of the cultures and just, just bits and pieces. It's so well done. Yeah. Number two, the drag makeup. I really want to know how long it took Lewis to get in that. It's got to be somewhere. It's It's got to be somewhere or it's because this movie did so bad. It was never talked about again. But you would think somewhere along the way of Lewis Gossett's journey as a as an actor, Somebody someone would have asked him, like, hey, remember that movie you did a while back? I mean, mind, how long were you sitting in a chair? Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number one is the chemistry. Yeah. Uh, without it, you don't have a movie. It no. would never work. Yeah. And not just with, and, and I should say this, honorable mention, Dennis Quaid with the kid. 
to me, without the chemistry of Lewis in that relationship building, yeah. it wouldn't have even mattered. But, right. But the kid, I'm not discounting the kid. Right. Because I have so much love and heart for that character. Yeah. Like we grew up with, the, we, we, we bonded with the parents and then we have the child now. Yes. Time for the bottom three. Time to vent. My number three, the music feels like it's from a TV show. <laughs> oh, it's, I, yeah, it's almost non-existent. Yeah. Uh, which you'll say later. Uh, number two, the detour to save damage, get him back on the space station. <laughs> then he's back on the planet. It takes five minutes tops. <laughs> yeah. And my number one, the special effects are sheet. Yes. <laughs> they are sheet. Yes, they are sheet. Sam, your bottom three. All right. The first half is three years. Yep. The last half, it seems to be a day. About. Uh, maybe stretch out the healing process. You know, maybe have Zamis be a little older and, you know, he's experienced the hells of being a slave. God, that would be awesome. And he almost doesn't recognize his dad. And there's a whole thing. Or his uncle. Or his uncle. Yeah, yeah his uncle. Um, but yeah, uh, a bullet to the lung, <laughs> I guess, isn't really a... a Maybe that's why they kept the, the guns, because they're, they're not as lethal. Oh, they're still lethal. I mean, Apparently not, if you got shot right in the chest. I mean, yeah, maybe it's a laser tag gun. <laughs> it's a light. It's a light. <laughs> Zap. Oh, you got me. Zap. Oh, you got me again. <laughs> uh, that's a deep cut Simpsons joke right there. <laughs> uh, music is basically non-existent. Uh-huh. And uh, number one is, yeah, the effects. They just did not age well. <laughs> they're real bad. Like, some points are kind of okay. Yeah. But other times, real bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. paper mache bad. Like, high C orange drink bad. Real bad. <laughs> like, $19 million bad. Yeah, like, <laughs> Today, wow, like $19 today. million. Dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is Blumhouse bad. Okay. As, uh, now it's time for the critics rating. A to F scale. C is average. A is the highest. F is the lowest. Okay, what do you give 1985's Enemy Mind in the science fiction movie genre? Sam, go for it. You get to go first. All right. This movie already has a place with me with uh, deep, fond memories of popcorn and hanging with the pops and always watching this movie and vibing and bonding. But really what brings it is Louis Gossett Jr. and Dennis Quaid's strong bond and character building despite being at war. There's a solid message to learn and listen, even though you might be angry or there might be a huge cultural difference or an opposite cultural difference. But it's not shoved down your throat. It's really natural, and it evolves so smartly. There's plenty of humor while remaining a serious science fiction. The music is very forgettable, and that's all I'll say about the music. The plot evolves at a great pace while learning more and more about the drag history, which is so cool because we already know the human history. We already know humans are kind of dickheads, <laughs> but it's so nice to just, and it was a smart move to just say this, this alien race came out of nowhere and that's all you have. The planet's creatures are interesting and thought out with evolution and being meteor proof. Uh, they're still creepy. The sand appendage still creeps me out to this day. Uh, the bond grows further with Drax's son. You get his urgency to save him. The football scene, you grow with these characters, even though the movie's, what is it, an hour and a half? Yeah. It's quick. It's, and you're, it you're, you, you connect with these characters, and especially 
the aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie is so well done. It's no surprise the novella won a Hugo Award. I, to just today's standard, it's still above an average movie. Yep. It is a B minus for me. Wow. Okay. Well, this is going to be interesting. My turn. <laughs> okay. So you gave that a B minus. Let me just put that in here so I can. Okay. So that's a, right there. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Cool. Um, all right. Uh, okay. So when C's, I. C is average, right? C is average. Yeah. So when I. Before I do these movies, I always get myself an initial range that I usually think about. Like when I remember the movie, oh, it's probably between a B minus two and F. It could be an F. I was worried about it being an F. Oh, I I was well prepared to make this an F. Yeah. So I loved this movie as a kid. And after watching it today, I firmly believe it is one of the most important movies in my childhood that led to framing who I became as an adult in regards to how I treat others who are different than me, whether that's taller, shorter, different shade of skin, different sexuality, different gender, different capability. I got a lot more out of this movie than I thought I had (laughs) Uh, yet. Yes, this is this is one in a long line of unlikely partnership movies. They usually follow the exact same formula. First, find two people who hate each other. Second, put them in a position where they're isolated. Third, each one learns about the other's backstory in a coincidental chain of events. Number four, the two people begin to sympathize and stand up for each other against their detractors, which they were both part of at the beginning. And finally, in the end, both people agree that even though they understand each other, there's still more work to do. Yes, this movie follows those steps, but there's a power imbalance at the beginning, which is not similar to other movies. Usually it's a power imbalance based on race, sex, or sexuality. However, both Jerry and Davidge are equals from the very beginning. Drax hate humans as much as humans hate Drax. They come from equal civilizations with equal priorities, but they are separated by space. If they lived amongst each other on the same planet, then one would have enslaved the other. But this movie subverts that idea by separating the species completely. In doing so, I think this movie does a better job at the premise of getting to know the person inside rather than what they are on the outside. After all, Davids doesn't know much about the Drak race. He knows them merely as faceless ships as he gets to shoot them down. I firmly believe that when it comes to unlikely partnership movies, this is heavily underrated in how well it tells the tale. It's paced a little wonky near the end, but this was when movies weren't going to do well if they were longer than two hours anyway. My, how times have changed. Now let's get to the shit. The special effects are just not that good anymore. Hell, they were kind of average back in 1985. Gotta ding it for that. Casting-wise... Lewis Gossett Jr. balances out Dennis Quaid's mania really well, and when they begin to work together, you feel like Quaid takes his acting to a level above B-movie expectations. They're well cast, and I think they have great chemistry. So overall, I'm giving this a B plus. Whoa! Science fiction pantheon. Wow! I'm giving it a B plus, which means that this movie averages out to a B, and it will be behind Jurassic World and above Back to the Future Part 3. And the lost world, it's about damn time. (laughs) Your ass has been evicted. Okay, so I'm so happy. (laughs) I didn't expect this to be as high graded as I was going to give it. No, I was well prepared previous to watching this to give it an F. I was prepared for you to be like, look. It's a great movie. movie. I love this movie, but I'm giving it a D. It's horrible. (laughs) Okay, so this is making it in the Pantheon. It'll be sitting there at the number five slot. Uh, Let's get our critics hats off. Do you love it? Like it? None of the above. 
has its flaws, but I fucking love this movie. I think I still love this movie. I do. This I, is a very pleasant surprise. This was a well. This was six ninety nine. Well spent on the voodoo. There you go. Yeah, I, I encourage. On, we're we're getting back up to that forty million dollar budget <laughs> slowly but surely. There. We're getting there. seven dollars at a time. Seven dollars at a time. <laughs> That's all we got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we'll look at Les Miserables from 2012 for the musical Movie Pantheon. You nominated that one. Why my eyes out? Les Mis. Okay, Sam? And then we got Dune after that. Yep, Dune, and uh, that will be the... Oh, that's going to knock out. That'll knock out the year. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean and give us a four or five-star review. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and follow our Instagram. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Any last words? Watch this movie. There's a lot of people that don't know about this movie. It is fan-fucking-tastic. And it's spelled M-I-N-E. Oh, I did want to ask you, what does the name mean? Because I always thought it was Enemy Mind, duh. You know what? I was wondering that one day driving home from work. Like where maybe I was, Enemy of Mine. It could mean that. I mean... It's a cool name. I just don't understand it. Maybe. Could it be? Could this have been such a production fuck up that they, <laughs> they misspelled? No, that they were like, if we translate this into other languages, it'll actually say my enemy. Oh, yeah. And they, so they made <laughs> they all the posters it. and they were like, oh, all right, me. what's the English one? It's it, it's enemy mine. That's what it is. Okay, we'll go with that. Oh my god, that would be amazing. Gets the fox and they're like, what the fuck is enemy? It's fucking mine enemy. Mine my enemy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for listening. Happy movie watching. Well, you know, look what she also, she graded the, uh, the Star Wars films, the three that she saw, because I made her watch the three, and she gave Empire Strikes Back a... Perfect score. She gave it a B plus. Oh, so what is this 10, 9, and 7 thing I'm looking at? Oh, a 12 is an A. Got it. Yeah. Okay. It goes A, A minus, B plus, B, B minus. So she was like, yeah, Empire is the best one. Uh, and then she said, Return of the Jedi is right behind it. Okay. And then she gave Star Wars A New Hope the same grade I did, which was a C. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I was like, girls got girls figured it out. She she's got her nerd card stamped. There you go. He was the Doctor Who with the scarf. I don't watch Doctor Who. No, but you I, recognize I the character, life. right? Sorry, what? You recognize what that character looks like. He's the one with the big ass hat and the scarf. No, there's a bunch of them. There's I, so many doctors. It's the know. first one. Uh, nope. Okay, from the British version. But okay, anyway. Well, they're all British versions. No, I have a saying. life. I don't watch that show. I don't either. I can't. For anybody that loves Doctor Who, I'm just 
messing with you get so offended. I'm not messing with you. Uh, I think. Let's that, see. There is. Sorry, <coughs> you were saying. No, go ahead. Now, just out of curiosity, were you a fan of the voiceover in Blade Runner when they did that? Yeah. Okay, you did like that. That worked. Okay, was that the director's cut? Yes. There's so many fucking cuts, I forget. I know. There's the director's cut. There's the final cut. I think it was the director's cut. The theatrical did not have the voiceover, did no. it? No. Okay. I think it was the director's cut. Okay. Either way, one of the fucking cuts. You should just watch them all, because it's amazing. Yeah, you should watch them all. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect sci-fi movie. I know you have not nominated that, by the way. <laughs> have I not? No. What? You've never nominated Blade Runner. Why not? I, you sure about that? I'm positive. I'm, We've never done it. Oh, my. Okay. Well, Blade Runner and Blade Runner. Well, oh, when is the 40? 2050. <coughs> that was sexy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's not my <coughs> God damn it. You okay? Yep. Fine. All right. Um, that's dumb. I feel like I would have definitely nominated that. Don't worry. You, you, you've, you've got Dune. We can do that next week. You got, Jesus, you're in rough shape right now. <clears throat> oh my gosh. Does that suck? <laughs> uh, sorry about Brees Hall, by the way. <sighs> yeah. I was so pissed. I was so pissed because you know what? I started him finally. I finally threw him in my fantasy lineup. 66 yards, touchdown. ACL out. <laughs> but hey, you got James Robinson. Uh, yeah. And Michael Carter was no slouch last year. And I did pick uh, the I picked the Jags for the, uh, me and my buddies do a preseason pick yeah. of like what the teams in the end are going to look like. And I picked the Jags and they're like, why would you do that? I don't watch football. <laughs> sometimes why. that sometimes that's the best course of action. Yeah. Steve won our fantasy league last year. He didn't watch a fucking game. And a boy, Steve. And a boy, Steve. I did I did fantasy. Off. I did fantasy hockey one year last year. Boy, hockey and basketball are a bear though. Oh, I, I cared for one week. Yeah. And then I just stopped. Mm -hmm. I was like, nope. I can do once a week yeah. done, but if I have to pay attention to every single player in the NHL, because maybe you might get traded or sent to the minors uh, or do all this BS. Yeah. No, thank you. It's just, too much. Just have my 50 bucks. I'm glad I paid somebody. Right. Here. Here's a donation. <laughs> God. That damage. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it wasn't that kind of movie, guys. <laughs> Should I play the music? For Move the on. <laughs> <laughs> find anything? Not find yet. anything yet. I ain't found shit. <laughs> Dune's the last one. Back, uh, back. No, that'll be that'll be space fantasy. That'll get Jedi out. That will get last Jedi out, and it'll finally be something else besides Star Wars. It, finally, <laughs> something. Well, if you know, unless I graded something differently. But you won't. <laughs> I hate The Last Jedi. And I do feel like I need to redo my grade for that. So when we do the space fantasy uh, genre for well, Dune, you're gonna really just <laughs> I'm going to re, 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 re go after oh, you, well, actually, my grades. I get to redo my grade, too, because I gave a grade. You did do that. Yes. Yeah, so, so I will rewatch it. On that oh, and regrade it. Should we do a little pre-last Jedi? Thing? Absolutely. 
I'm going to try to find clips. It's going to be funny because I have so much more respect for Ryan Johnson now. It seems like once they got away from Lucasfilm, he turned out okay. He turned out great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He knives out. That's his, that's his, that's his field. Yeah. You do that.